Hi guys, this is Malobi, CEO of Pan-African Traders, and you are listening to the Pan-African Traders podcast. On this podcast, we are going to be having interviews and speaking with some experts that are involved with the B2B trade within Africa and the diaspora. Stay tuned for what's up next. Um, good afternoon, good evening, everyone. This is Malobi from the Pan-African Traders podcast. And today we have a very special guest. Um, Tokumbo is going to speak to us a little bit about exports, uh, talk about what she does when it comes to uh, consulting in Nigeria for exports. So this is going to be a really, really great conversation because this is someone that's actually speaking to exporters that's deep in the value chain um, and has been doing it for quite a while now. So um, welcome to the podcast, Tokumbo. Um, nice to have you here. So first of all, I think it'll be good to just maybe introduce yourself. Uh, can you tell us, you know, what your name is and what you do? What's, what's the name of your company? Uh, and then we can start getting into it. Okay. Um, good evening, everyone. My name is Adi Tokumadewai. Um, I work as an export consultant. Um, name of my company is um, Fortress 20 Commodities. Um, so I started out in the export space uh, 2007. So that's almost 15 years ago. Um, it was a vacation job and then it became a regular job. And um, 2018, um, I left that job to start an export consulting company, right? So um, my first degree is actually in accounting, um, but I, I also um, took um, a professional course, certified international fi um, trade finance with the London Institute of Banking and Finance. Um, I was also in the agribusiness program of the Lagos Business School. Um, I, adjunct faculty in the Lagos Business School, faculty agro-chains. I was expert mentor on the Future Females program. And um, I also facilitated a course on the Nigeria Export Academy. Um, I have two books, two mini books on exports, export lingo and um, export contracts. So um, basically, I think that's a summary of um, of uh, my profile, basically. Wow, that's uh, that's a very very impressive profile. Um, there's there's a lot to unpack there. But before we even get into the the real deep conversation, um, what, the name Fortress Twenty uh, Commodities. How did how did you come up with that name? It's uh, I'm trying to figure out what it means. Okay, so um, because. Um, Exports is quite at infancy, underdeveloped, unstructured in Nigeria. It means then that a lot of people lose a lot of money in exports because there's a debt of information. Um, like your own, a fortress is like a place of safety, right? So um, it, there isn't so much safety in the place, um, in the space. So we have decided that we're going to be a safe space. So capital safety is um, critical for us. It's not just about doing the business, it's about doing it profitably and safely. So um, that's, that's the fortress part of it. The 20 part of it is another um, discussion, a very long, discussion but the fortress part of it is the safety part that um 
yes, you can do exports and you can do it in a safe manner without losing your capital. Wow, that's 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 fantastic because um, people do lose money uh, exporting, um, and they have all the best intentions. Um, they want to get into exporting to either make more money or create employment and everything, but you know people are not equipped with the right information. Yes. So that's that's really good that you're providing that safe. That's so that's an interesting uh, brand proposition there. Um, so you, you you mentioned that. You, you 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 started off in a vacation job and then you got you created your own consulting business. Um, what was that like for you stepping out of you know a nine to five job, uh, taking a risk and deciding okay I'm going to start my own business I'm going to become an entrepreneur. What was that transition like? Well, the transition um, interestingly, the transition was like a project. It was the whole idea of consulting was a project when I was in LBS um, for my action learning project. Um, so the whole consulting idea was just um, the project, and it wasn't something that I was going to be actioned on. It was just a project, and then um, two years after. Um, the project was 2016, 2018. Um, I had to do like a first eject from um, the current job I was doing then. And then I thought, why not consulting? There's, um, there's a debt of information in exports anyway. Um, the exporters are too busy exporting. Exporting is like, um, exporting is like 10 jobs um, in one. So the exporters are too busy exporting. They cannot, um, they cannot offer consulting, otherwise their their own jobs will suffer. And then the the um, those who are um, foreign into exports, um, the the beginners don't have anyone to hold their hands. So I thought, okay, why not hold um, people's hands and also make a profession out of it? Of course. Um, at this time, it wasn't very popular. Even now, it's still not very popular um, for you to um, be an export consultant. Um, what most people know is that you're either exporting or you're not. But there isn't anyone to really say, this is how to go. This is um, a compass, let's navigate um, this way. You know, so it wasn't, um, it wasn't anything popular. It was uncharted territory. Um, and um, export is very wide, right? Um, there's the oil exports, there's the non-oil exports. And um, the information for the um, various value chain is is different across board so it was it was it wasn't um it wasn't um an easy ride it was bumpy right but after some time we we're able to stabilize and um, then begin to speak to what the needs of the people are um we eventually settled on um export readiness because um we we had um, there are three things that we basically do training consulting and trading you know and then on the training we eventually settled with um export readiness because we have discovered that most people are not even ready to export and um, for it to be sustainable you have to tick some boxes before you even start what you find out is some people have not um ticked any boxes and um, they are already in the international market and what typically happens is that they have one-off transactions after one transaction is the end of the transaction 
so eventually settled with export readiness and said okay make people prepare people for exports let them tick all the boxes before they go into the market and that has um that has um, attracted considerable um a considerable buy-in and considerable success along the way well that's that's amazing and i'm, I'm sure you're going to get a lot more uh, people interested um from, from speaking to people over the past year or so um, I've heard a lot of people, not even just in Nigeria, people in the diaspora that are looking to, you know, import goods from Nigeria and mm. they are looking to learn, you know, they're asking questions, they want to see how they can export. So this this is a really important uh, gap in the market that you're filling. Um, so I guess, you know, you mentioned some of the key services you offer, the training, the consulting, the trading, um, but I'm keen to understand what what are the most some of the most common mistakes um, that you found that people make um, either just before they start exporting or when they make their first um, you know export? What are the you know recurring themes that you tend to see? Um, I think one of the most interesting ones is the calculation part of it, where people are just eager. You know, once they see the contracts and they see the USD, the number of zeros behind the USD, people just go very, um, they just, they, they are excited, you know, and so they don't do any calculations. They, they don't put figures on paper. They don't look at the profitability of the whole thing. So someone is in the UK and the person is, the person goes to a shop and discovers that maybe, um, someone is selling a tuba of yam at maybe five pounds or something. And the person is like, what, five pounds? I'm going to Nigeria, I'm bringing in all the yam I can possibly get, I'm putting it in all the stores. And he's not even thinking about his cost of logistics. He's not thinking about um, the cost of the yam itself. He's not thinking about the kind of yam it is. The person is just excited by the, um, the, the, the foreign exchange that, stands to be earned so i've seen a lot of people make mistakes from excitement another thing is um country specific products so the eu has banned uh beans for example and some people will still take in beans and discover on the other end that it was banned and then you're wondering how could this even happen how can you take out stuff and discover on the other end another thing i've seen our people do a lot is to gamble a, a country says we don't want this product or this product is not allowed and um, what you have seen people do is they take in the products they'll say some people still bring in the products and then there's a lot of destruction at destination um the the, com the countries would invite you over to come and supervise the destruction of the product and that leads to um a lot of loss losses on the part of the company you know so it, it, it i think um it's information and um, the the calculation part of it. So I think information is a major thing. Even the calculation is information because someone signs an FOB contract and um, he he doesn't know what it means um, now. What an FOB contract is, or someone signs a cost and freight contract or a cost insurance and freight contract, and he thinks that his responsibilities have ended as soon as he delivered the goods to 
the vessel, not knowing that he's going to pay for it. So he begins to wonder, where is the freight going to come out from? Freight money is not part of what I have quoted for you. So the, 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 the information gap is very, very wide. Very, very wide. Wow, that's, that's, I guess you've probably saved some people uh, some thousands of dollars just from those um, few points that you mentioned there. Um, so that's, yeah, that's really interesting. I think, yeah, people get really excited. Uh, they see the numbers and like, wow, I, I need to get into exports. And yeah, a lot of mistakes are made along the way. So um, that leads me on to the question of, you know, this, this, the service that you're offering. I think um, sometimes when it comes to consulting, because the customer doesn't know what they don't know, they might not realize or appreciate spending the money on consulting. So what has been your experience with that? Have you found some people that like, you know, they ask you, okay, how much does it cost? You tell them and they're like, well, I'll figure it out myself. Has that been an experience as well? You know, that's that's a very, very consistent experience, um, especially, you know, so then I, I've also understood um, in the last um, six months that I serve two markets, basically the local market and the international market. So for the people in the international market, they are accustomed to paying for services, right? So when you say this is what um, I'm, I'm going to charge, they either negotiate or or the the um, most times they negotiate. But in this part of the world, what you find out is most people are not willing to pay for services. So immediately. Um, you say, um, this is what I'm going to um, charge for this service. Then you begin to say, no, someone, someone begins to say, no, I'm not, it's not anything serious like that. Um, I'm not asking very serious questions. I just, I just need you to put, put me through um, this and that. And I'm like, I'm a consultant. I sell billable hours. You know, this is not um, pro bono and all of that. But you know, um, so I, I, now I've um, begun to delineate the markets. So um, I was telling someone recently that even though I train, most times um, I don't um, open up trainings for individuals. Except um, there was this one I did recently for the students, and that was that was like almost pro bono, right? Because. Um, if I train for an organization, the organization understands the value of the training. And so the organization is the one paying and then participants attend for free, right? So I would rather tailor my services to the organization and let the organization engage me. That way I know that I'm getting um, a fair exchange for my time instead of then going to the individuals. Also, um, another thing I've realized is that most of these individuals are actually SMEs. Um, and so it's not like some of them don't want to pay. Some of them just can't afford um, what you are um, charging. So you, you, but their organizations like the NEPC um, and some other, other organizations, even um, foreign organizations who, um, take up the responsibility of partnering with our own local organizations to trade people on um, trade and um, international trade and exports and all of that. So um, in tailoring our services to those organizations, um, we're able to um, leverage on that. And then what we then do locally is, um, is um, well, one or two um, people who understand the value of the services that we are offering. Who are available to service them. 
Hello? Yeah, I can hear you. I think, I think, um, did I go off at a point? Yeah, Hello? yeah. You, you, I lost you just at the last 30 seconds. Like, in, um, you said, um, you, you talked about, you know, how you, you, you tailored your stuff to the organizations and then you're going to make uh, another point that uh, I just lost you. This most recent point you were going to make. Oh, okay. So I was saying that, but well, then there are some um, local companies who understand the value of the services we offer. And then we also um, tailor our services to those people. Even some individuals understand the value of those services and they are willing to pay. So, so it, it works just well. Wow, wow, that's fantastic. And that shows a, that says a lot of things because a lot of the time in business, you need to understand where you fit in the market um, mm. and, and know how to pivot. So, you know, say for example, maybe you might have started off serving everyone, um, but then you realize maybe serving individuals is not a good idea. I should mm. focus on organization. So these are, are not just export specific uh, lessons, these are business lessons. Um, and then you, you spoke about, you know, you're not necessarily serving the market that the NEPC might be serving. You have, you know, your own kind of market that you're serving. So it's, it's really interesting, um, the stuff that you've been going through on your journey. Um, and you, you mentioned there were three things that your company offers, was training, consulting, and trading. Um, can you speak about the trading? What is what is that? What do you mean there? Oh, okay. So, um... Our company also trades. Um, we do quite um, some cash flow, right? Um, but we trade on the value chain. So what 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 I have seen is that a lot of people um, in, in the export space don't understand the value chains, and a lot of people in the export space want to be in the forefront of the exports. So for cash flow, for example, when we are trading cash, we are trading as merchants not as the exporter so i'm trading with the exporter right but i'm on the value chain right so but a lot of people don't understand that but a lot of people want to be the ones to end the foreign exchange themselves right but then there's an ecosystem there's a value chain and so i said to people that wherever you play in the um value chain or the ecosystem is not really uh, material because you are still contributing at the end of it all to the export ecosystem right so um for the trading most times we do some commodities um cash majorly um and then maybe a little cocoa right so those are the commodities that we do um for trading um currently wow wow that's fantastic and that's well said um because like you mentioned about the lbs course i, I did the same course um, we've met before at lbs and you know the the professor or the facilitator speaks about the agribusiness value chain as a whole you know people think of mostly think of agriculture which is like the farming side of it and then they think of exporting so but people don't really think about everything in between um, and I think that, you know, it's, it's very important that people start understanding, you know, there's so much going on. There's trading, there's processing, there's logistics, there's so much more. So you don't necessarily have to literally be the one exporting the goods out of the country. You know, there's so much more that can be done. Um, and, and that leads on to my question around the value chain. Um, you know, I think I've, I've seen you on a webinar where you talked about some interesting bits and pieces and you can give us just a top level 
um, of opportunities in the value chain. Um, I remember one time I, I saw you in a webinar, you spoke about the juke bags and how you know, they, the, the prices fluctuate, so there's an opportunity there. So can you just mention just a couple of things um, along the value chain, um, aside from trading and maybe juke bags, that you think people should maybe look into outside of just purely exporting goods? Okay, so um, the export um, of services um, is something that a lot of people have not looked at, um, apart from even the ecosystem itself, right? Um, you know, so there is um, there is the um, business process outsourcing that is just um, becoming quite popular in Nigeria, which has been over time dominated by India and the Philippines. And, um, you know, I had, I, had um, I was in a program and a lady was talking about it. I know that we have met in several um, seminars where she talked about um, um, export of services, right? You know, so that's something that we have not really fully um, maximized in this part of the world um, the export of services but then if we are going to look at the value chain um, I was saying to um, some university students last week that if you tell me what course you are studying then I'll be able to tie it to exports and so they started to they started to try my um, knowledge of exports with the courses that they are studying. And so I said to the lawyer, I said, for the lawyer, there's international there's international law, there's business law, there's the law of contracts. So even though you are a lawyer, you don't have to be a charge and bill lawyer, you don't have to be a litigation lawyer. You could focus on international trade, right? And then someone said chemistry, you know, like chemistry will make me lost and all. And I said product formulation. So someone wants to formulate a product for exports, the person can't just mix things together. The person needs someone who understands chemistry um food science and technology all of that you know throw all of that together before the person comes up with a product you know the person has to know that the properties of this and that by the time i mix them together i am not going to be poisoning people and then the microbiology said so what about microbiology and i said to the person microbiology when well, we are testing the products um for residue and all of that and um you know testing the products for the microbial um, levels and all, and all of those things you, you are going to we are going to have to use a lab and then the microbiologists are going to be the ones in the lab and you know when we talk about insurance we're talking about marine insurance and we are talking about um we're talking about goods in transit export credit insurance and when we talk about finance we're talking about export financing and all of that and when we talk about packaging right there are some packaging that are needed for exports there's even a move towards um packaging that is um, environmentally friendly right i i should have a product but i don't necessarily have to be the one to import my packaging someone's business can just be packaging for products that that can be someone's own someone's own business another thing is contract processing so in most developed countries the the, the owner of the product doesn't own a factory um he just uses a 
a factory they process um ha- however much that he needs for him and i'm so happy that um the last time i was in abuja some women had already started working on this model where you just take in your raw materials and they process it for you it's your own brand but you don't own a factory you don't own the um label you don't they they make the label for you they even suggest to you they they get all the vendors and all of that the only thing you would need to get is your own NAFDAQ number and then contract processing is happening and then we're also looking at packing houses so if i wanted to pack fruits from nigeria and i needed a cold um packing house to pack the fruits for example um, what most organizations will do is then create their own packing houses and how many packing houses can um each organization possibly come up with why isn't there a zone that is a place where if I want to package fruits, um, you know, there was this time we were really talking about um, avocado pear from Nigeria. And, um, you know, it was funny to me because I know for, for a fact, I stand to be corrected, that currently there isn't a place where we'll package it if we were to um, export it, right? Someone was speaking to me about um, roses um, recently that we could do roses from Nigeria. I was like, yeah, we can. We can do the planting, but what about the logistics of it? What about the um, packaging of it, the storage of it before it moves? What about its movement in transit? So I have a I have a reefer truck or I have a reefer container. That could be my own, my, my business could be cold logistics, right? You know, so the ecosystem is totally empty. We with so many um, business opportunities in it, and it's just waiting for people to plug in. What about artificial intelligence, right? So if I have a cold room and I have to monitor the temperature levels of that cold room, or a warehouse even, and I have to monitor, I have to track my products um, in the container, then artificial intelligence is already um, around me. And then the, the lowest hanging of them all, I'll say is data you know, data gathering um, and um, data, uh, available data in public domain. You know, I was saying to a friend that there was a particular time I wanted some data and some guy from India had offered me and said, how many products do you want? I said, 10 products. He said, that would be $1,000. I was like, eh, for what? You know, but he had actually aggregated all of that data and it was data that was important to me. So if someone goes ahead to aggregate that data, you begin to find out that people actually need there's data it's just not aggregated together in one place you know so the ecosystem has so many opportunities in it but what everybody is looking at is just the front end everybody is interested in carrying the container everybody wants to carry the container everybody wants to be the one to put the goods in the aircraft but then the, what about the many other um things that the people, the existing exporters need in the ecosystem. And you know, that's also uh, putting a lot of pressure on their cash flow, right? Because if I need to um, build my own warehouse, build my own cold storage, import my own jute bags, import my own packaging materials, then I'm putting unnecessary pressure on my cash flow. But you know, like the phone industry, the mobile phone industry, we have um, screen guards, we have chargers, we have earphones, we have um, the data companies, 
we have um, the apps you know we have so many things that are just an offshoot of one product the mobile phone right you know so it's same with exports right and um the the people who take advantage of it early are the ones who win big wow wow well said i i didn't expect you to answer that question so well <laughs> you went into a lot of detail and i i hope that it inspires a lot of people um to see how they can fit into the value chain um like you said it's it's an ecosystem it's not just uh one place everyone just exporting goods um the exporters need a lot of services me, me myself I, I try to use um technologies develop apps that can help in facilitating exports in nigeria so everyone has a role to play and it can create a lot of jobs and create a lot of opportunities so um very very well said there um i was gonna ask you as well you know you, you mentioned a lot of the opportunities um but i also wanted to hear some of the key challenges um for exports what's what's limiting us from our full potential i know that yes there's a lot of gaps in the, in the value chain but maybe let's look at it from more the public sector what maybe let's look at it more from um the ports you know what what are some of the things that are recurring themes that you see that are limiting us that if they were removed or they were liberated exports would be a lot easier uh, in nigeria Uh, I think I lost you there. Okay, so um, I was going to ask uh, about, you know, you mentioned the opportunities in the in the export value chain, um, but I wanted to find out some of the challenges or some of the limitations that we're having, um, looking more so from maybe infrastructure or public sector. Um, what are some of the things, the, the, the things that are quite big stumbling blocks from helping Nigeria to just explode on the international stage? I think the very, very major one is um, logistics, right? Um, you know, um, the ports, uh, three ports in Nigeria are the ones that are functioning for our volume. That's, um, that is, it, it, it just won't work. Um, the Lekki Deep Sea Port is coming up strong and we, we are hoping that that works. But logistics is like a major challenge. The port situation is a major, major challenge. You know, when we eventually um, are ready, when, when, when you eventually get your goods um, 
uh, when you eventually start moving, then you look at the cost of logistics itself. It, 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 there was a conference where the cost of logistics um, from Nigeria was analyzed, and it was really high. It was higher than um, other um, competing neighboring West African countries. So it just then means that um, as an origin, Nigeria, that might make us uncompetitive as an origin. So if I'm going to buy something, if um, I was going to import something from West Africa, and I look at um, Ghana, I look at Togo, I look at Benin, I look at Ivory Coast, um, and I look at their logistics from these countries, and I look at the logistics from Nigeria, it might be a disincentive for me to um, do business from Nigeria, right? And then our costing will also not be the same because someone whose um, logistics cost is lower than mine, their pricing will be much better than mine. And um, remember that we are trading in an open market. So it's not like, um, it's not like the market is closed and I can always quote any price um, based on my logistics. So I can't even transfer the cost um, to my buyer because my buyer has other options. He can decide that um, I can get this product in Ghana. So why should I pay um, through my nose? Because I want to get it from Nigeria. And it's the same with air, it's the same with sea. Is the same with our land borders, you know. So the cost of logistics is really, really—it's a major challenge for exporters. It's a major challenge, and you know that—that's um, the solution to logistics would be like a major game changer for Nigerian exports. It's like something that is just going to—you know—when we talk about the ease of exporting that logistics will be like a major contributor to the ease of exporting from Nigeria. Wow, wow, that's that's very well said. And, and just before I round things up, I, I just want to dig a little bit deeper. And if, if you don't have the answers to these, this question, that's fine. Um, but I wanted to find out what specifically um, is making the cost high? Um, is it, um, you know, is it the delays at the ports? Is it um you know maybe the peak customs are collecting too much money from people like do you know more specifically what the bottleneck is there okay so i think that there are multiple charges to start with um different agencies um trying to get different um different costs then the bottleneck is also um a cost of the high cost because um if there's a bottleneck um on the way it means that um you know, I always use this analogy that if I was a truck and I know that to take me two weeks to get into the ports and um, I used to typically charge um, half a million um, for that trip because I know that my one trip, uh, my before it was a one day trip and all of a sudden it has become a two week trip. So I would then say I'm going to charge 1.5 million for the same trip right even the 1.5 million doesn't really cover my cost but the 1.5 million um is three times what um used to be paid so imagine you put in three times and even that three times is not doesn't work for the transporter because the transporter wants to go 
and come back. He wants to go and come back. He wants to go and come back, right? So another thing is because of the congestion at the port, some people are having to use the badge and um the badges at an extra cost right you know so by the time you put all of these costs together um coupled with um what we call um legal illegal charges um <laughs> that's what a friend of mine calls it legal illegal charges which are the payments across along the way as you go to the ports and all of that you know the different um um, taxes that some agencies and some officials you know those are just those other by the time you put everything together you find out that the cost of logistics is just is astronomical it's something that you can't even imagine it's something that has gone way past um the the, the, the reach of most exporters wow wow thank you so much for that and uh thanks for giving the detail there so yeah, this is something that we need to challenge. And I think hopefully with the new ports, the Lekki Deep Sea ports, and I think there's another one um, that's, that's you know, coming out soon. So I coming think- Coming up strong, yes, the Badagri. Badagri one, yes, yes, yes. And I, and I think hopefully if it's a, you know, there should be a policy and something to, to, to move these obstacles out of the way, but hopefully um, as we progress, things will get better. But Thank you so much for this um, conversation. I've, I've learned a lot. I'm sure people that are listening would have learned a lot. So I guess um, the last thing I'll ask is, you know, how can, how can people reach you if they want to, you know, use your services, um, if they want to get your books? Um, you know, what's the best way for people to reach out to you? Okay, I think um, I'm quite active on LinkedIn. I did talk about same thing on Instagram at Detokumbadewoi. Um, our website is www.fortress20commodities.com. You can get our books, our products. Um, so um, basically, um, online, you can reach me online. You can reach me through our website. I think online, my email um, from from LinkedIn. I, I, I'm sure I have a number on LinkedIn. I have um, an email address on LinkedIn. Um, you can always reach out to me if you need any of our services. Fantastic, fantastic. So yeah, thank you once again for joining me. I think we've covered uh, most of it. If you if you need her services, please reach out to her. Um, she's been doing this for a long time. She's got all the expertise, so I'm sure um, it'll be very, very much worth your money. Uh, thank you, Ade Tukumbo, for your time. And uh, yeah, hopefully, you know, maybe we can do this again when Nigeria's made some adjustments and things are moving a, a lot better. So yeah, thank you yeah. For, for joining me today. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. Uh